0: Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well and you're not going to want to miss it. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are discussing the tragic solved case of Egypt Covington. And Egypt was 27 years old when she was viciously attacked and killed on June 22nd, 2017. And this is one of those cases that by the end of it, you are going to be incredibly frustrated because this is such a preventable case and something that did not need to happen. Not that any case we cover ever needed to happen because they don't. However, in Egypt's case particularly, you will see why I say that. And so I'm not going to give anything else away. With that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Egypt Covington was born on July 19th in Detroit, Michigan to her parents, Chuck and Tina, and Egypt grew up in a really big blended family. Her parents split up when she was young, and afterwards, her dad went on to marry a woman named Chris, who was her stepmom, and Chris and Egypt also had a really great and loving relationship. In this blended family, it resulted in Egypt having multiple siblings. She had brothers, she had sisters, and everyone described her as someone that once you met her, you personally became a better person because of her. Egypt was the type of person who was always trying to lift people's spirits up, and she was always trying to make people happy and always trying to make people laugh and smile. And one of the ways that she really was able to do that was through a passion of hers which was singing. Egypt loved to perform and even decided that she was going to try and take her singing to the next level and audition for the singing competition show, The Voice. Egypt grew up in a town called Belleville, which is located right outside of Detroit. And along with performing and singing, Egypt worked a day-to-day job as a local bartender in Belleville, and she was really well-liked by everyone at the bar. The particular bar that she worked at had a lot of regulars, so she was familiar with a good amount of the people that would come in and hang out at the bar and vice versa. Now at the time of Egypt's death, she was actually switching career paths a little bit and she was starting to work with a beer distribution company. And what's actually really cool is the specific distribution company actually ended up making a beer dedicated to Egypt. After all of this happened, they made a beer called A Girl Named Egypt. And I just think that that's really, really special. Now, where Egypt lived, Belleville, it was a relatively small town. In 2019, the population was under 4,000 people. It was about 3,800 people. So it was one of those towns where everyone kind of knew everyone. Now, at the time of her death, Egypt also had a long-term boyfriend. This boyfriend is named Curtis Meadows, and the two of them really planned on spending the rest of their lives together. They had also just made the decision to move in together, that way they could save up for a house and really start that next chapter of their lives. However, at the time of her death, they had not done that yet. So Egypt was still living at her apartment by herself, and her apartment was a duplex. So it was a house with two apartments in the house. So you shared a front door and once you walked in the front door, you were met with two other doors. You had the door on the left and the door on the right. And the door on the left was where Egypt lived and where her apartment was. And the door on the right is where Egypt's neighbors lived. So on the morning of June 23rd, 2017, Curtis woke up and just as he did every morning, he sent Egypt a good morning text. And according to Curtis, Egypt typically responds between 20-25 minutes whenever he texts her. However, after some time had passed and Egypt never got back to him, he began to worry a little bit. He started texting her a couple more times, but still never got a response and ultimately just thought that maybe she left her phone at home and forgot it on her way to work. But after Curtis had gotten off of work himself and still hadn't heard from Egypt, he decided that he was going to go and drive over to Egypt's house just to check in and make sure everything was okay. Now, when Curtis arrived to Egypt's apartment, the first thing that he noticed was that Egypt's car was still in the driveway and this is when he said that he had a gut feeling that something was very wrong because if her car was in the driveway that meant that she was home and if she was home she would have her phone and would be able to text him so the fact that all of those things had happened and he still hadn't heard from her that was really, really concerning for him. And that's when he said it all kind of hit him. But regardless, he still parked his truck in the driveway, walked into her apartment, and that is when he was greeted by Egypt's dog named Ruby. And according to Curtis, Ruby kind of looked at him and almost led him to where he would ultimately find Egypt. Egypt was tied up and bound on the floor of her kitchen with blood all over her head. Once seeing this, Curtis immediately ran back to his truck to grab his phone and call 911. And when police arrived, they were able to determine that Egypt's cause of death was a gunshot wound to her head. Now, along with that, something else that police noticed was what was keeping Egypt's hands tied behind her back. And that would be Christmas lights. Now, considering Egypt's murder happened in late June, it stood out to police as odd that Christmas lights were the item used to tie up egypt it basically made police believe that this was a very last minute thing this wasn't thought out or planned out because if this was planned out more than likely someone would use rope or zip ties or something that would be more substantial than christmas lights christmas lights seemed like a very quick thinking impulsive gotta grab it type of thing Now, once police arrived to Egypt's apartment, that is when her family began to be notified about her death. Her sister, Beth, was the one who called her father, Chuck, and her father, Chuck, ended up relaying the news to Egypt's half-brother, Dwayne, as well as Egypt's mother, Tina. And then after that, the rest of her siblings and family were also notified. Now, when news of Egypt's murder became public to the town of Bellevue, it spread like wildfire. Like I said, this was a town where everyone knew everyone. And part of the reason that Egypt's case resonated with so many people is because everyone kept saying that this could have been them. Egypt was shot and killed in her own home when she was sitting at home watching a movie. That could have been Anyone And the fact that police couldn't figure out who exactly did this and that the person who did this was still out there was terrifying for everyone in the community. However, police were very adamant on the fact that they believed that whoever murdered Egypt was someone that she knew. So they kept relaying that information to the public in order to kind of subdue everyone's fears, but also because they truly did believe that whoever shot her was someone that she knew. And part of the reason for that is because when it came to the investigation, police noticed that there was no sign of forced entry in Egypt's apartment. But even with the possibility of this being someone that Egypt knew personally, that really didn't lessen the pool of potential suspects at all for police because like I said earlier, so many people knew Egypt. She was a popular bartender in town. She had just started out at this new job. She had grown up in Bellevue, and Bellevue was a small community. Now, I don't think it's going to be a surprise to anyone when I say that the first person that police looked at in this was Curtis for multiple reasons. First off, he's the boyfriend of Egypt. And as we know from cases that we've seen throughout the history of ever, police always look at the spouse, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the partner first. Along with that, he was the one that discovered Egypt's body. So because of that, it definitely put him in the hot seat with authorities. And he was questioned for hours on the day that Egypt's body was discovered on the 23rd. And he was questioned for hours at the crime scene which was Egypt's apartment, and then he also was asked to write a written statement, which he also did. Now, when police spoke to Curtis, as well as speaking to friends of Egypt who knew her and Curtis's relationship, police learned very quickly that their relationship wasn't always smooth sailing. Egypt's murder was in 2017, and the two of them, Curtis and Egypt, had actually met in 2008 when Curtis was 28 years old and Egypt was 20 years old. And throughout the almost 10 years of knowing each other, they were consistently breaking up and making up. I think the most consistent thing about their relationship was the fact that they were so inconsistent, They would take a break for a couple years and get back together for a couple years. And sometimes their breakups were caused by their work schedules. Curtis worked a regular day job and Egypt worked as a bartender with very late night hours and they weren't able to spend quality time together. Sometimes they just broke up after fights, things like that. So they were always making up, breaking up. That was kind of their MO. But despite all of that, at the time of Egypt's murder, things between the two of them seemed to be going really well. Like I said, they had planned to move in together plan to get a house together. And Curtis said that at this point, it was the real deal this time. They weren't playing around anymore. They weren't going to break up again. It was for real this time. And from the beginning, Curtis was actually very cooperative with police. He told police very quickly that he would be as cooperative as he needed to be in order to eliminate himself, which would basically help police narrow down who actually did this to Egypt. And that's exactly what happened. Curtis ended up taking a polygraph test, he passed the polygraph, and police ended up eventually clearing him as a potential suspect. Now, it was at this time, after Curtis was cleared, that authorities also learned about another ex-boyfriend of Egypt's, and that was a man named Kenny. Kenny and Egypt had dated during one of the times that she was taking a break from Curtis. And according to everyone who knew Kenny, he was definitely jealous and very unhappy about the fact that Egypt and Curtis were planning on moving in together. Kenny was 10 years older than Egypt, and he worked as a mechanic. And Egypt's mom, Tina, actually knew Kenny's family for years. So she was very familiar with Kenny right before the two of them started dating. And Tina remembers one time at a family gathering, Egypt and Tina were standing together, and Egypt pointed out Kenny and told her mom that she was going to date him. And because Tina was very familiar with Kenny and his family, she knew that his reputation was not one of being very committed. He was kind of a player, had that kind of reputation, and Egypt looked at her mom straight in the eyes and told her that she was going to fix that. She was going to make Kenny date her, and that is exactly what ended up happening. The two of them fell in love, dated for about three years but the two of them ultimately ended up breaking up, but they ended up leaving things on very amicable terms. But even with that, Kenny wasn't too thrilled at the fact that shortly after they broke up, Egypt went back and got together with Curtis again. Once her and Kenny had broken up and she had gotten back with Curtis, Egypt had actually raised some concerns to her friends and family that Kenny was following her. She said that everywhere that she went with Curtis, Kenny would find a way to show up. And there were also points where even Curtis saw Kenny casing Egypt's car. This happened multiple times. And five days prior to Egypt's murder, there's a local tradition in Belleville and that is called the strawberry festival. And it it is exactly what it sounds like like it's like a farmers market of strawberries essentially and there's you know fun games things like that and so everyone in the town of Belleville was going to be at this festival and Egypt knew that Kenny was going to be there but still she wanted to go and enjoy the festival with her boyfriend so her and Curtis decided to go to the festival and Kenny also went to the festival as well and Kenny arrived by himself he didn't go with friends but he said that it was such a popular tradition in Belleville, he was sure that he would see people that he knew at the festival and he could just kind of tag along with them. Now, what ended up happening here is that Curtis and Kenny arrived to the festival separately, and Curtis was waiting for Egypt to arrive as well. So Curtis got there before Egypt, and Kenny was also there. And while waiting, somehow Kenny overheard or was told by someone that Egypt and Curtis were planning on moving in together, and this did not sit well with him so by the time egypt arrived curtis actually saw as egypt went over to talk to kenny who essentially basically told her like why wouldn't you tell me that you were moving in with kenny like why can't you talk to me about this now this ended up in a very heated argument between kenny and egypt and egypt ended up storming off and curtis went with her and said that she was very upset about all of this and like i said this was only five days prior to her murder. So this definitely put Kenny on police radar. Before we move any further, I want to take a minute and thank our sponsors for today's video. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Now Kenny was picked up by police at a local bar just hours after Egypt's body was discovered and he was brought in for interrogation and he told police that on the night of Egypt's murder he was actually just bar hopping around Belleville and ended up going home by himself at around 10 o'clock p.m. Now the reason that this is an issue is because by him saying that he went home by himself that means that no one can verify his alibi. So because of that, police wanted Kenny to take a polygraph test. The polygraph test was about his whereabouts on the night of Egypt's murder, as well as if he had any involvement, if he knew who did it, if he was in any way responsible. And he basically answered no to all of those questions. But Kenny failed this polygraph test miserably. In fact, the only answer that he got right on this test was his name. Now, after he failed the polygraph, he ended up getting a lawyer and Kenny was very vocal to everyone about the fact that he had failed this polygraph. And when you hear that someone has failed a polygraph about a murder investigation and if they were involved in it at all, it definitely raises some eyebrows and raises some red flags. And so because of that, many, many people in the community basically took that piece of information and made up their mind that Kenny was responsible. But there was one person who basically defended Kenny in all of this and that was actually Egypt's mom. There was a vigil held for Egypt and like I said, Tina had known Kenny's family for a while and Kenny's mom told Tina that Kenny was afraid to go to the vigil. However, Tina told him to come in anyways and Kenny basically sat right next to Tina which really put a divide in the family. As you can imagine, the entirety of Egypt's family who believed that Kenny was guilty was now looking at Egypt's mom sitting next to the man that they all believe was responsible for this. So you can imagine the anger that that created. Now, in terms of why Tina didn't believe that Kenny was responsible for this, she basically said that she knew Kenny. She knew Kenny for many years and she knew that he was not a violent man. And Tina said herself that by kind of siding with Kenny, it really put a divide in her family, like I said earlier. And it was either you were on Egypt's dad's side or you were on Tina's side. So you were on Chuck's side, or Tina's side, and most people were on Chuck's side, especially in Egypt's family. Now, in March of 2018, police actually came forward and said that Kenny was now considered an official person of interest in this case. And once this happened, Kenny actually spoke with a private detective. Now, from the beginning, Kenny was adamant on the fact that he did not murder Egypt. He said that after him and Egypt officially broke up, they continued seeing each other for about eight months, continued hooking up, doing that whole thing. And when the private investigator asked him about the strawberry festival fight, Kenny said that he was there by himself and that he saw Curtis and overheard Curtis talking about how he was going to move in with Egypt. Now, like I said, once Egypt got there, Kenny approached her, before she got to Curtis and asked if it was true that she was going to be moving in with Curtis, but Kenny said that Egypt didn't want to talk about it, which is why she started walking over to Curtis. Kenny said he then followed her and asked if they could talk about it, but Egypt got upset at him and left. Now, Kenny said that he wasn't upset of the fact that Curtis was moving in, but was surprised that Egypt didn't tell him, and that is where his anger stemmed from. Now, Now, regardless of how amicable you are in a breakup or not, I don't know if it's necessarily necessary to tell your ex you're moving in with your boyfriend. However, from the looks of it, I know that they were family friends and they kept in contact, but the way that Kenny made that sound was almost as if Egypt owed him something. Kenny said that on the night of Egypt's murder, like I said, he went home by himself after the bars at around 10 p.m. and watched some TV on his phone, so he told police to, you know, look at his phone, look at his screen time, track the fact that he was watching Netflix, Hulu, whatever streaming service he was, on his phone. Now, shortly after Kenny was named a person of interest, Egypt's brother, Dwayne, started dating a woman named Lindsay. Now, Lindsay had met Dwayne and noticed that Dwayne's lock screen on his phone was a picture of Egypt. Now, not knowing what had happened to Egypt, Lindsay had asked Dwayne why his sister was his lock screen. And Dwayne had told Lindsay that, you know, my sister was murdered and it's still an unsolved case. And Lindsay really took it upon herself to try her very best to solve Egypt's case. And the reason that she said she did this is because Dwayne was the man that she ultimately fell in love with and she saw how badly this hurt him and she wanted to get answers for Dwayne as well as Egypt's family. So, Lindsay and Dwayne basically started doing their own personal investigation, and after doing their own digging, they started to question whether or not Kenny was actually Egypt's killer. And at this point, basically the local authorities who were working on this case, as well as everyone in the community, had already pinned Kenny as the killer, minus Tina, like I had mentioned earlier. However, Dwayne and Lindsay started to also have their doubts. Now, Egypt's dad's side of the family was really not too thrilled about the fact that Lindsay and Dwayne were getting involved in the investigation and that they were questioning police work. Because like I said, they had already basically thought that Kenny was the killer. So the fact that, you know, Lindsay was coming in and basically causing all of this commotion around the case again, it really rubbed them the wrong way. Because, you know, Lindsay had never met Egypt. She never Egypt. All she knew were the stories that she had heard, and it was pretty offensive for Egypt's father and Chris, his wife, and her siblings for Lindsay to kind of come in and try and run the show again. Now, Lindsay said that she was never trying to step on any toes in terms of Egypt's family. However, just by looking at the case as much as she did, she started to realize that all of the evidence, quote unquote, that was linked to Kenny was all circumstantial at best. But like I said, Chuck and Chris were very upset that Lindsay and Dwayne basically had the audacity to implement themselves in this. But regardless, they were determined. They became very involved in this investigation and were looking into everyone all over again. That included Curtis, that included Egypt's friends, it also included Kenny, and it included Egypt's neighbors. Lindsay and Duane told the local detectives that were working on this case that they wanted the Michigan State Police to be the ones to look into this case, which obviously the local detectives had a very big problem with because they thought that it was kind of a jab at how well they could do their job. But the reason that Lindsey and Dwayne said that they wanted that is because the Michigan State Police had a lot more resources than the local authorities did. And finally, after a lot of back and forth and after a lot of passive aggressiveness and arguing and this and that, the Michigan State Police finally took over Egypt's case. Now, I want to take a moment and talk about where exactly Egypt lived, and I know I briefly touched on it earlier that she lived in a duplex, but I also want to mention her neighbor in particular. So, like I said, Egypt lived in a duplex, they shared a front door, and then it was Egypt's door on the left and her neighbor's door on the right, and Egypt had expressed to her family and multiple of her friends some of her concerns about who her neighbors were. Now, her neighbors actually had a license to sell and grow medical marijuana, which resulted in a lot of people coming in and out in that house on a daily basis. Egypt told her mom in particular that she was worried and didn't really feel safe with the amount of people that were going in and out and the types of people that she was seeing going in and out of this house. And police did talk to Egypt's neighbors and Egypt's neighbors were actually at a music festival over 200 miles away from where Egypt's apartment was. So they were pretty much ruled out immediately because they were not there, nor were they anywhere near their apartment at that time. Now, only three months after the Michigan State Police took on Egypt's case, they ended up calling Tina directly and told them that they were finally able to make an arrest in Egypt's case. Now, once the entire family was made aware of this arrest, they all felt a huge amount of relief that Egypt was finally going to get justice. However, there was one big piece of information that police were holding on to, and that was who they arrested. So everyone knew that there had been an arrest made, but no one knew who it was. Was it Kenny? Was it Curtis? Was it a friend of Egypt's? At this point, no one really knew. But in the last few weeks of 2021, the names, and yes, I said names, plural, of the men arrested were released. Shane Evans, Timothy Moore, and Shandon Groom. These were the names that no one had heard before, not even Egypt's closest friends and family. However, these were the three men that were arrested for her murder. Now, like I said, Belleville was a very small town. Everyone knew everyone, but no one knew these men. And because of that, it led to the bigger question of who were they, what was the motive, and why Egypt? So here's what we know. Timothy and Shane are actually brothers, and Shandon is their cousin, so the three of them are related. And Egypt actually went to high school with Shane Evans, and she would also see him occasionally because Shane was hired by Egypt's neighbors to cut their lawn. Now, Shane was actually the one to come to authorities, and he told authorities that on the night of Egypt's murder, Timothy and Shandon, who were visiting town from Toledo, Ohio, wanted some marijuana, and Shane said that he knew a guy that they could get some from, and that guy was Egypt's neighbor, but like I said, Egypt's neighbor was at a music festival, so the plan was, was that they were going to go in and rob the neighbor for their marijuana. Now, according to Shane, he was the one basically driving the getaway car. So he was driving a truck and Shandon and Timothy were in the passenger and back seat of the truck. And when he pulled up to the house, which was the duplex that Egypt lived in, Shane said that he specifically pointed to the right side of the house and told them to go in to the right side and to go in through the right door. Then, shortly after, Timothy and Shandon got out and walked in. Now somewhere between getting out of the car and walking through the front door and being greeted by the left door and the right door, even though Shane said he specifically told them to go through the right door, Shandon and Timothy went to the left door. Once the two men got into Egypt's apartment, Egypt is now seeing these two men for the first time. These are men she had never seen before. Like I said, she had gone to high school with Shane, but Shane was still in the getaway car. Timothy and Shandon then bound her with Christmas lights and shot her in the head, placing a cushion between her head and the gun to try and muffle the sound, and then they left. Now, once they got back in the car, Shane said that Timothy and Shandon did not mention anything about what had happened to Egypt until later that night when Timothy texted Shane and just said, quote unquote, whoops, wrong door. Now that text, even when I just say that, I get chills just saying that to be so casual as whoops, wrong door. Whoops, Wrong door. Are you kidding me? Now, Shane said that when he got this text from Timothy, he really didn't know what it meant or why he said it, so he just kind of let it go until the next day when news of Egypt's murder became public, and Timothy had asked Shane if he wanted to know what exactly happened with Egypt, and Shane told Timothy that he did not want to know and to never tell him what happened with Egypt. And that's really the story that we have. So we have this vague series of events, but even though we have that, we still don't have the why. Did these men purposefully go through the left door instead of the right? Is Shane even telling the truth? Because there is no reason that they should have or would have gone in there to murder Egypt if Shane had specifically said to go through the right side of the door? Was there some sort of altercation? Did Egypt know that her neighbors were going out to a music festival and heard Shandon and Timothy try to break in and confronted them? However, with Timothy's text saying, whoops, wrong door, that does kind of make you think that that was not the case and that he automatically went through the left door, which was Egypt's apartment. But why did they have to kill Egypt? What was the purpose of that? That kind of makes me believe that maybe she did confront them. However, again, with the whoops, wrong door, it really doesn't seem like that. And again, is Shane telling the truth? We just don't know. And right now, Timothy and Shandon are actually facing charges of first-degree murder, while Shane is facing charges of felony murder. They were arrested in November of 2020 and will most likely go to trial either later this year or early next year. And the state police are basically very matter-of-fact that these are their three men that murdered Egypt. You know, the whole, was it Kenny? Did Kenny do this? That's kind of gone out the window at this point. Kenny was not their guy. However, Chuck and Chris and a lot of Egypt's family and really everyone. And I think even you guys while sitting here and listening and watching, because I know I did the same thing, are having a really hard time wrapping their head around the fact that Egypt's life was so brutally and viciously ended all over a bag of weed. That's why she had to die. She had to die over a bag of weed. And that just doesn't, it makes no sense. And it's not really something that a lot of people can wrap their head around. It's not something that a lot of people can justify because it's not justifiable. However, trying to think of a motive and what exactly happened. If Shane told them to go through the right door, why would they go through the left? Is Shane telling the truth? Is Shane lying? Is Shane equally as a part of this as the other two? We just don't No, but I am very curious to see what you guys have to say about this one because this one, you guys, really has been messing with my head for the last couple days because I just can't figure out what happened between Timothy and Shandon getting out of the car, if that's even what happened, if Shane wasn't involved, Timothy and Shandon getting out of the car, them going into the duplex, and them leaving, what exactly happened? happened. But that is all for me today. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of killer instinct. Like I said, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of killer instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday. And then again, every Thursday on YouTube as well. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then stay safe. Bye guys.